how are you doing? Good day to you. My name's Ian Prowse, and uh, I'm here with my friend, once uh, boss of BBC Radio Merseyside, the great Mick Ord. How are you doing, Mick? All right, Ian. Yeah, good. Yeah. Nice to be here. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to be doing uh, podcasts for you, and we're very excited about it. And the first one is uh, of internal interest to me and Mick, and it's going to be all about protest songs. So uh, we've been working on this for a while, haven't we, Mick? Yeah, we've been working on this for a couple of months, and we've struggled over what to call it, because we need to have a name, don't we? Yeah. And we've been bouncing the names between us and other people over the past couple of months, Yeah. and we've come up with... Misadventures in Music. Yes. So uh, and we're very happy with that. So uh, we're going to have a good time, and we hope you do too. How are you doing anyway? All right, mate. Okay, good, yeah. good. Uh, when I called you a couple of weeks ago and said, what are we going to talk about in the first podcast? And we came up with protest songs and we came up with about 500 titles. Yeah. But you said to me, well, that's why I started to become interested in being a musician in the first place, in the 70s when you were listening to yeah. punk and new wave. So just talk us through that, will you? Well, uh, you know, the only reason I'm sat here today talking to you as being a you know a musician for all of these years is because I was inspired by uh, you know the punk rock and new wave movement and I wasn't old enough to be a punk you know I was only kind of 12, 11 12 when it happened but as the shock waves of it went through the new wave uh, movement you know in uh, 77 78 79 that kind of I was 13. 14, 15, and, and, you, and your cement is wet, isn't it? And I, I, and I remember thinking, this is our generation's music. And even to this day, it's still, that era is still my kind of favourite type of music. So when you're, when you're 14 and you hear Paul Weller singing directly about you and your life, yeah. Um, it hit me like lightning, you know, and and with such force that it's. I would say that it's still the kind of fuel that I run on as a as a songwriter and a, and a musician today. And of course, he wasn't the only one, you know. The, famously, the Clash uh, and Elvis Costello, you know, Ian Jury, the Stranglers. You know, and as, as punk and new wave went on, you had all sorts of other things, Gary Newman, the police, and then there's the American ones, you know, Blondie, yeah. Talking Heads, Ramones, and it was just a massive explosion. And because they all sang with conviction, yeah, I, I remember just thinking to myself, what are they so angry about? <laughs> you know, but I got it, and I, and I loved it, you know, that... What's what's the famous line in working for the Clampdown on the Clash of London calling call album? Um, uh, Fury Fury has the hour. Anger can be power. Do you know that you can use it? You know, and then Lydon famously sang a bit later on. Anger is an energy. Yes, yeah. And um, 
I wasn't sussed out enough to know what they were angry about uh, to begin with. But as as time went on, as, and and I put the Clash here as the main the main band, as all of these acts started to release album after album, and we got further away from the big bang of punk. Um, and they started to express themselves. You know, they became more than just a one-dimensional sort of, uh, you know, uh, noisy punk band. They um, they started to become my educators, you know, remote educators. And um, you know, the the jam were kind of provincial. You know, they were singing about my life as a as a working class lad in in a council house. So I, I got that. You know, Saturday's kids. And I, I, the first gig I ever went to was see the jam here, the Liverpool Empire. Oh, right. Okay. In, uh, in 1978, you know, and you, your first ever gig um, is, it just completely blinds you with the with the glory of it all, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, the lights and definitely. the noise and the PA on all these people gathered together. And it and it's a, it's a phenomenal experience, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So that was, that, that was me on board for life. But then as it went along, the educational and the instructive band the most, I, th- I felt, was The Clash, you know. Um, and you've chosen The Clash as being the first of our protest songs today that we're going to play and talk about. Yeah, I, I, because um, they told me things I didn't know. Yeah. And they told me things, you know, when Joe was writing about it, Joe Strummer was writing about it, he... he he gave me information that I wasn't going to find anywhere else. You know, it wasn't going to be on the six o'clock news or, you know, uh, when you got up in the morning to go to school it, on Radio City News. It, was, it wasn't going to be there. It wasn't going to be in any of the newspapers in the house, you know, or any of your other modes of information. So all of a sudden, they, the clash of, of, uh, of grown and grown, they've released... London Calling, which is their, you know, their their big album, double album, and which has got reggae influence songs on. It's got old style fifties rock and roll songs on. It's got skiffle on. You know, it's got all sorts of of different genres, but they've done it authentically. And then they get to their fourth album, and uh, their fourth album has a really unusual title. It's it's this word Sandinista, which immediately makes you go. What the hell's that? You know, what, what Sandinista? And so you're duty bound to find out. And of course, it's in the grooves of the record as well. And um, the first track that I've chosen to play on our entire podcast is a song called Washington Bullets. Mama, mama, look there You children are playing in the street again Don't you know what happened down there? A youth of 14 got shot down there The cocaine guns are jammed downtown The killing clowns are blood money men Shooting Washington bullets again As every cell in Chile will tell The cries of the tortured men Remember Allende in the days before Before the army came Remember Victor Hara in the Santiago Stadium ever died. Those Washington bullets again. And in the Bay of Pigs in 1961, Havana for the Playboy and the Cuban Sun. For Castro is the color, is a redder than red. Those Washington bullets want Castro dead. For Castro is the color. 
Hammond organ oh, at the end. Yeah. I love the way it just comes in at the end. Yeah, you know, like that was uh, this track and a track by the Water Boys uh, called "Bang on the Ear," which also ends with Hammond. Uh, are the two reasons why we we got a, a real Hammond in Pele in my first band? The first thing we did with our advance was go and buy a, an actual Hammond organ uh, with a big Leslie, and it was because of that song oh, at, the, at the end. There, um, it's so powerful and. Uh, and holy, it's like gospel, isn't it? Yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. Um, But yeah, that. So, so Washington Bullets. You know, I, I remember hearing it for the first time, and we're a long way from punk rock, there, aren't we? Oh yes, yeah. You know what I, I mean? mean? Five, six years. Yeah, something. that's. There's a lot more sophistication yeah. in in uh, in the musicianship, uh, and uh, you know, a lot of it would have come from uh, Mick Jones as well, who, who tended to write a lot of the uh, a lot of the chords and the music to these songs. So, so the Clash, uh, uh, you know, are advancing as a as a team and as a unit musically, a, a long way from their kind of rudimentary beginnings. And um, this this particular song has it is just like a, a history lesson, and it's just like a 
incredibly educational. I remember reading the lyrics on the on the sleeve, and they're, they're scrawled on there by Joe, uh, and it was a it was a three three disc set. Uh, Sandinista, which seemed yeah. insane at the time, you know, that they would do that, especially after they'd done a double album. And um, again, it was all sorts of d- different music on it. But this this song struck me from the very beginning. And because he was th- he was talking about things I didn't know, you know, I didn't know Victor Hara was and what had happened to him in the Santiago, Santiago Stadium at the behest of the uh, Chilean, you know, right-wing regime. So I, you know, I would go and find out what that was. I didn't know what the Bay of Pigs were. Uh, you know the the attempt to overthrow uh, Fidel Castro uh, two years after his um, you know victory in his uh, revolution in Cuba. So I I went out and found out about that you know uh, and how that worked. Um, but so this song contains all of these things within it you know and it, and it and it's and Joe's giving me information. That is uh, is exciting and it's educational, but it, it also made me want to go outside of just the song. Yes, yeah. Go, go searching, and of, and of course, it's 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 to state the bleeding obvious, but yeah. there was no internet then, no. so you and no doubt many many other people. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'd include myself in Sandinista. Anyway, yeah. thinking. What? Because it it had really very very little publicity except in the foreign newspapers. Yeah, the foreign news pages of the yeah. Times, the Guardian, and the Telegraph. You know, we, and, and maybe the odd report on news, which we'd night. never read. No, there was, no. So there was never a broadsheet in my council house in Ellesmere Port. You no, know what I mean? No. We never, we never had anything like that. So we would, because of the clash, you know, then it would be written about in maybe the enemy a little bit. But we all the the. Um, to give, give you a very brief history, the Sandinistas were a left-wing guerrilla movement in Nicaragua uh, attempting to overthrow uh, the right-wing government, which was American-backed. Uh, and there was a, a, the Contras with, with the people that the Americans were financing. You know, uh, Again, incredibly dubious thing for the CIA and the Americans to be doing. Um, but the uh, Sandinistas were of the people. And they had this, they were, it was called the FSLN, and uh, to show solidarity, we'd all buy these little black and red That's badges. Right, little badges. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and we'd wear them, you yeah, know, yeah. because Joe had told us to. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, so that was, and they were successful, which is the key thing. You know, the Sandinistas under Daniel Ortega, he was the key revolutionary, and they took control of Nicaragua. Now, you know, to, to bring us quickly up to the uh, present day, they've kind of. Uh, They've been in and out of government, and Ortega himself has been has been uh, accused of selling out, or maybe they got to him, or whatever it is. But that's a that, that's a different subject. But at this time, um, the clash decide to lend them uh, their their solidarity, and then all of a sudden, all the cool kids all over America and the UK, Western Europe, people who were listening to the band knew about them, you know, and and an immense. Um, publicity coup for the Sandinistas, you know, and 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 let's just be yeah. honest, they're sympathetic towards the Sandinistas. They're not, they're not saying bad things about them. They're, they're lending their, you know, their their support, and uh, so that's a big deal for them. You know that that makes it uh, yeah. powerful for them. And the, but what, what really I really really love about this song 
is it is it tells me something about my own uh, my own country and my own world. In the last verse, uh, is a um, great verse. He sings, uh, "If you can find an Afghan rebel that the Moscow bullets missed, ask him what he thinks of voting communist. Ask the Dalai Lama in the hills of Tibet how many monks did the Chinese get." So he's Joe's calling everybody out, calling everybody out. And then it's the final words are, in the war-torn swamps, stop any mercenary and check the British bullets in his armoury. Now, I remember that stopping me in my tracks when I was a kid. Yeah. yeah. Because I don't what, what does he mean? What's, what's that? What's, what's Br- British? What's my Britain got to do with this? And, of course, he's, he's basically pointing out to you the sordid, terrible truth that the British military-industrial complex is making money out of death all over the world, you know. Stop any mercenary. So it, it doesn't matter. It could be anywhere in the whole world. Yeah, yeah. And I've never asked Billy Bragg, but I, and next time I see him, I, I will. Um, I, I wondered if, if that line by The Clash, because I know how much he loved The Clash, inspired his line a couple of years later in a, in a, a song he had called Island of No Return, which was about the Falklands conflict. Um, he, saw, he, he, he sings, I never thought that I would be fighting fascists in the Southern Sea. I saw one today and in his hand was a weapon that was made in Birmingham. Yeah. Which is a brilliant line yeah, as well. It is, isn't it? Yeah. And it's kind of parroting Joe's line um, in, in, to point out the deep and profound hypocrisy of you know, British capitalism uh, where it has no loyalty at all. You know, we might be asked to rally to, to the flag and Britain and you know Britain stands as a as always doing the right moral thing. British stiff upper lip, you know we are always on the right, and we're not because it's being exposed by Joe and then Billy and uh, yeah. to to say actually it's about making money and it you yeah, know yeah. and uh, and that is a kind of uh, when the scales fall from your eyes when you when you learn stuff like that, isn't it? And to learn it when you how old would you be then when 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 that happened to you, sort of 16? Yeah, f- f- yeah, 15, 16. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and I, it, 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 it puts like a, a spotlight on it and the whole world opens up in front of you of, okay, so if that's the reality of, you know, uh, making money, and obviously the government are well aware of this and, and, and in many, many cases involved, what... It's a murky world, then, isn't it? Where else? Are, yeah. What else is that? <laughs> what else is going on? Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so this to me is proper protest music. Yeah. Because yeah. it's instructional. Yes. You know, it's not it's not nihilistic. You, you know, like uh, the great punk explosion was was basically in Britain was basically the Sex Pistols and the Clash. You know, one was nihilistic. They, you know, you you might find them wearing Nazi armbands just to shock, yes. you know, Sid Vicious in the yeah, Sex yeah, Pistols. Yeah. But the clash with the other side of the coin. Yeah. The, you know, as Joe said very early on, you need to know we are anti-racist. Yeah. You know, um, we are pro-equality. Uh, and they got involved in Rock Against Racism and all of that. Um, even though the Pistols, arguably with Nevermind the Bollocks, was... You know, at the, the very epicenter of the of the punk big bang, 
you know, the Clash were were kind of there as well with their debut LP, and they seem to um, they seem to be much more international and worldly wise than yes. than all of their peers. Yeah. You know, um, like whereas the Jam were singing were kind of inward and singing about uh, you know our everyday lives in here in this country. Uh, uh, working class specifically uh, lives, the Clash were already gone to America, yeah. and they were they were singing about international things, and they were and their musical styles were changing every five minutes. Mick Jones had an incredible antenna, you know, he was first on to rap and hip hop and and all yeah. of that when they went to New York. Yeah. Let's incorporate it into our music on the album that this is off, the Magnificent Seven. I think is the opening track. It's a rap track, you know. Are these white guys doing doing this? It yeah. was, um, only the Clash would do that, and because of that, I think to this day, the Clash music has has aged incredibly well, and maybe some of the other bands haven't aged. It was well. never particularly. Uh, once the original punk explosion happened, it was never about just the UK, was it? It it became more than that. Yeah. Which, which in some ways. Um, um, open the door maybe for the next track that you've chosen um, which was a broader issue wasn't it it was a, a broader issue about Nelson Mandela because at the time you'd see his name up on posters and that but I didn't really no. not really I knew I knew he was in prison and I knew South Africa was apartheid but that was it yeah, and when the special AKA came out with that it just popularised oh. it didn't it um you know, I, th I don't think you can overstate how important uh, Jerry Dammer's song was, you know, uh, Free Nelson Mandela, because, you know, again, to, to go back to what I said just before, uh, for me as a young kid, we had punk, new wave, then there was like a, a, a mod rebirth in 79, and Scar, Scar yeah, yeah. and these these are bang bang youth movements, bang bang bang. Yeah, one, one, year, after, yeah, yeah. one after the other. And then yeah. you know, after that, new romantic, and it was just it was amazing, you know. And to be young in those times, uh, everything's changed now. There are these youth tribes don't exist in the same way that would just come, you know, one after another. And obviously, Scar was political in its in its very core because. You know, it was uh, it was unification between black and white musicians. You know, and uh, uh, second generation uh, West Indians who'd come over. You know, the Specials, aka being the one of the main proponents of it, and so it was incredibly positive, and the music was fantastic, and you know, Jerry Dammers was obviously at the centre of that. Uh, and, but it was, it was a few years later, it would have been, I think it's about 84 when this song comes out. So we still got the specials together in one form or another. Terry Hall's gone to do Fun Boy 3 with, the, uh, with Linville and the other guy. And, they're, and they're, so they're gone, they're out the, the picture. And uh, I, I read that Jerry Dammers said he was just like we were. We were vaguely, we vaguely knew yeah. about that there was a great injustice in South Africa. Um, but, and we were, and we were against it, but we kind of didn't know much more than that. No, no, no. And then this song came out, he'd been to a, 
he'd been to a, an evening ab, uh, about uh, the, the leader of the Afri- uh, African National Congress, Nelson Mandela, who at that point was 21 years in prison. And he'd, he'd been to it and he thought, this is, why isn't this more talked about? You know, this, this should become a cause celeb. And he, uh, he wrote the song and it's an amazing piece of music because as I always say, you could write the great, uh, the best bit of um, uh, rebellious polemic. You could write a, a, a poem or a lyric full of fantastic fire and really, but if you marry it to a dull and interesting tune, it will it will die on the spot. Bum, yeah. It will wither on the vine, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he. He didn't do that. He, he he put together a song which, despite its subject matter, is kind of joyful, isn't it? Oh, it is. And it's it, uh, to nick a, a line from another, f- uh, from a film, Apocalypse Now, it smells of victory, doesn't it? <laughs> it feels it feels like victory when you listen to this. Yeah.
marvellous. As you said, uh, Mick, there's there's a, a feeling in that song of uh, that victory is definitely going to happen. Yeah. There's a joyousness in it. There is, isn't it? You know, yeah. In, in yeah. the call of it. And Jerry Dammers, who wrote it, and uh, Elvis Costello produced it. And um, I've never asked Elvis about it, actually, what, how he feels about having, uh, you know, been central to probably the most effective protest song of all time. Um, because before, before this song, you know, it, it, the movement against uh, apartheid in South Africa was, was just that. It was like a, a, like a leftist cause. You it was know. a socialist workers' party yeah, kind it was of thing, wasn't you know, it? Really? Yeah, you know. that sort of thing. Yeah. And, and the do-gooders yeah. uh, would yeah. get behind it, but it, it wasn't the orthodoxy. You know, and this song helped it pass from just being a, 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 a movement that was over there, yes. you know, along with a, loads of other movements. Um, it helped put it front and centre um, and, and cross over from being an unorthodox thing into the orthodoxy and cause celeb, you know. All of a sudden, everybody started uh, putting their weight behind it. You know, and of course we had the, um, there was, uh, in South Africa house on Trafalgar Square, there was a, a, there was a 24-hour picket against the, uh, against the apartheid regime, wasn't there? I remember going down there and signing the, uh, the book and they said, we're, we're, we're not leaving outside South Africa house till, till uh, apartheid has been dismantled. And obviously uh, the, the, the energy behind the, the people who were running that was greatly enthused by, you know, it was it was it was fueled by, by this song that all of a sudden because it's such a great song and it's a single. It was like that that thing you said a couple of minutes ago about you can have the most worthy and the most influential lyrics in the world, but yeah. you haven't got a good tune. Forget no. it. And this was a great tune, and it was different to the other stuff. It was different to a lot of the scar stuff that was knocking around. It, it kind of moved it forward a little bit, didn't it? I think and so. Brought in the Latin influence. Yeah. Or, there's an, there's African know. stylings in there as yeah. well. Yeah. And uh, as I say, uh, Elvis did a great job. Apparently, it was quite it was quite a problematic recording session um, that went on. With at, Jerry Dammers. Yeah. No, it was. I think the lad who sang it. Um, We've never heard of him really since. He, I don't think I don't know what he went on to do, um, but there was there was some troubles between the musicians. I'm, I, um, I'm not sure what they were. So it, it, it had a slightly difficult birth, um, but all of that got uh, superseded by by the fact that it became a global hit. Yes, you know. So all of a sudden, coming out of radios all across the world was this three and a half minute. Uh, rant, it, you know, to to release um, a political prisoner and leader of you know the ANC, uh, Nelson Mandela, of which the significant proportion portions of uh, of Western society, uh, the Tory Party, young Tories, were, were calling him a terrorist. Yeah. yeah. So it brought into question, you know, that that age old. Uh, uh, a problem or discussion of one man's terrorist as another man's freedom fighter. And it kind of comes down to how the media portray it, you know, and who owns the media and who stands to gain from whichever way that you're, you know, being coloured. And uh, Mandela 
was by uh, the young Tories was, you know, hang Nelson Mandela. Uh, he, he is a, you know, he's using uh, physical force to, uh, to attempt to remove the, uh, the South African regime. Now, if, if you say, uh, for example, uh, the ANC say, right, we, we as black people do not like to be uh, institutionally uh, looked upon and enshrined as second-class citizens to you just because of the colour of our skin. Uh, stop it. And they go, oh, we're not going to stop it. At, that, at which point does it become legitimate and justifiable to do something else about it? You know? yeah, yeah. Or do you just go on forever... You know, so there's, it's an interesting where's the philosophical, point? yeah, where's the tipping point? Philosophical yeah. discussion um, about that, uh, uh, and it would be the strongest, I think, um, argument in favour of you've got to overstate your case at some point in in, in mm. terms of destroying apartheid, um, and of course there there were other uh, singers and songwriters writing about Gil Scott Heron. Johannesburg, fabulous song. Uh, there was uh, Steve Van Zandt, who, who had that great song, Ain't Gonna Play Sun City. Um, Biko by yeah. Peter Gabriel. All incredible. Because at that time, tracks. artists were saying, um, we're not going to play there. Yeah. But some continued to do so and had, had done that for many years. Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't yeah. believe him. In a, I remember reading a profile. <laughs> You're going to laugh your head off. <laughs> <laughs> it was an interview with Cliff Richard. Okay, okay I'm sorry. But that was, in, that was in the mirror or somewhere. It was, and he said his favourite country. And he'd written South Africa. Oh, you're kidding. And this, I think, was in the late 70s. Right. I remember thinking it. And we made at university. We were thinking, hey, hang on, what's, what's this? About? <laughs> but loads of bands did go over there to play, though, didn't they? You know, Queen went, yeah, didn't they? Famously, Queen went. Yeah. And um, uh, Elton John. Rod Stewart, and then there's the ones that people don't talk about so much, Ray Charles, The Real Thing, from here in Liverpool. Uh, And obviously, uh, you know, at the time, they they all have their reasons, and they all all use... Yeah, money. Yeah, money. We all know what they they went for, the the dollar, you know. But they all used... um, There was a... They all they were all versed in apologism yeah. for, for yeah, it. Yeah. Oh uh, no, it's okay because uh, you know black people are allowed in, and they, you know they've invited us in, um, and and various uh, techniques which have been used down the ages to exonerate yeah. you know poor behaviour uh, to 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 try and say it's justifiable it wasn't justifiable. You've gone for the money. Yeah. Stop trying to use these other things, which they, you know, they felt cornered into saying. And then they did stop going, didn't they? A lot they of, did. You yeah. know, I mean, I yeah. mean, it did happen. And I, I, I would guess your argument is that Free Nelson Mandela helped to galvanise that movement. I, and you know, I think so because it, they, they all of a sudden found themselves on the wrong side of the line. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. you know, they would go, uh, say, Queen or whoever would go to South Africa play in Sun City, take the money and, and go back. And maybe a, f- a few people would throw bricks at them about it, but not enough. And they no. carry on releasing records, selling millions and yes. planes of packed out houses. Then all of a sudden, with this song, it became clear that they were on the, the wrong side of that. Yes. And they couldn't quite get away with it. And of course, um, yeah. Steve Van Zandt, who was the uh, guitarist in 
Bruce Springsteen, the E Street Band, he uh, famously put together "I Ain't Gonna Play Sun City." Now that, that, that that's a that's a yeah. direct hit on those that have, yeah. you know, uh, that that ain't me- messing around. Yeah. And he got uh, a lot of artists involved, uh, you know, Dylan and uh, and a lot of great rap artists involved, and Springsteen himself. And he uh, and it's a really, really uh, fabulous song as well. And he had to negotiate with the with the ANC in in order to to you know get some support for the song because they because uh, Free Nelson Mandela was banned in South Africa, but it was played all over the townships. You know they they couldn't yeah. they couldn't stop it from being played on you know the pirate radios and everything in in Sharpville or or wherever uh, in South Africa. So that was a it was a, a rousing song for them as well in the in the actual you know, the, the belly of the beast of yeah. apartheid. Um, so it was like a, almost like a fifth column. The song was a fifth column within, you know, the, 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 the meat of the regime. And, uh, but w- with Steve Van Zandt, he, he had to speak to the ANT and, and, and they, they had a real bee in their bonnet about uh, Paul Simon. Oh, he, right. He was, on a, he was on a hit list, Paul Simon. You this know, is because of Graceland. Because of Graceland, because he'd broken all the cultural boycotts, you know, and and he trampled all over them. Uh, and again, he used apologism to say, "Yeah, but I'm bringing this music out to the masses, who, who wouldn't have, you know, heard it." But he was still breaking the boycott, and the ANC were like, "And there's a great thing that uh, Steve Van Zandt says." He goes, "I had to speak to these guys because." They were gonna whack Paul Simon. <laughs> wow! Yeah. And uh, he said, "No, you know, we, we. I get how angry you are and how unjust this entire situation is, but let's not kill Paul Simon." You know. So we kind of. I, I, he's obviously joking, but there's a there's a, a kernel of seriousness yeah. in it. He goes, "So I helped keep Paul Simon alive, mm. which is uh, really funny," and. Uh, he, he, but he again, he helped, you know, bring a lot of attention to this situation, and also was directly pointing at his fellow artists and going, "You can't do this. Yeah. This is not, this is not acceptable moral behaviour. Money is not, you know, that important. You've already got enough bloody money anyway, you know. Um, so now, to leap forward, uh, you know, uh, four decades." I still remember that Queen played in South Africa. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? And yeah. and Elton John and all of them. So whilst they might get lauded as like the, uh, as kind of the, uh, you know, the, the glorious part of British pop and rock music, there's, there's, there's a, another story that often gets whitewashed. Yes. You know, the film about Queen. Yes. Any mention yeah. of it in that? No, no, I no. Think so. Well, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, they're going to... Yeah, they're gonna get that out pretty quickly. Aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it is it, 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 to fall in behind the song Jerry Damas's song. You can't you can't uh, overestimate what a, an amazing galvanizing uh, rallying call it was for the for the global movement. Yes, and all of a sudden you had people. Uh, you know, there was the 80th birthday party at Wembley Stadium. All of a sudden you had people who 
aren't interested in politics and could have fallen either side of the line going, oh, I better get behind this because this is the yes. cause celeb. Yes. You know, like, that's that's what happens. Well, you know, you just got to accept that. Of course it does, yeah. yeah. that's And and you'd rather that happen than, the, than they Absolutely. continued as they were before. Yeah, and it might be cynical from certain people's yeah. points of view, but so what? You know, we've yeah. this is the thing, we've got to get it done. It's yeah. got to... And if that's, if that's a very, very small price to pay for getting Mandela at prison. And uh, I was... He didn't... He came out in, in 89, I think. They let him out of prison. Because remember, it was live on the yeah, news. Yeah, it was live on the telly, right? And he threw the clenched fist salute in the air. And it was an amazing moment in human history. And uh, But they, they still didn't have free elections until 93. And I remember this vividly because our second single with Pele, Megalomania, went to number one in South Africa in 92. Wow. And... Um, wow, wow. And I remember that we all found out in the band, we're all going, fantastic, you know, we're, we're going to get to go and tour South Africa and we're all going to buy apartments in Cape Town with our, <laughs> oh, with, yeah. with our newfound winnings. <laughs> you know, we're going to tour. But the cultural, uh, 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 you know, blockade was still in place and we couldn't go. Or we, we could have gone, but we'd have been, you know, breaking the, uh, the musicians' union would have been on our case. And, and uh, you know... Can you imagine that? You, well, you yeah. Well, you can't. You can't be way. a. You can't be a left wing gobshite all your life, and then at the first available opportunity of, you know, oh, we're, we're number one. Oh, I didn't really mean all of that. Let's go and cash in. So obviously we we didn't go, but if it happened a, a year later, we could have gone. <laughs> if only they'd have got their act together in time. Uh, do you know what I mean? So uh, so it's bittersweet. Yeah, but I remember the band. Uh, you know, members of the of Pele were. Going, like you know, they they were topping up. Thinking, Maybe I can buy a Lamborghini with them. <laughs> it. Ain't gonna happen, no, no. <laughs> you know. But the, the contrast between the joyous kind of uh, celebratory nature of Free Nelson, Man of Free Nelson Mandela, and the next track we're gonna play, yeah, same genre, I suppose. Certainly yeah. a, a protest song, yeah. But N.W.A. is not really a joyous celebratory <laughs> song, but. My word, the, the impact it had at the time it came out was just astonishing, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, we're going to the other end of the spectrum, aren't we, yeah, uh, yeah, with yeah. this? Should we, should, we have a, a, should we hear it? Yeah. Should we, should we get into it? Right about now, NWA court is in full effect. Judge Dre residing. In the case of NWA versus the police department, prosecuting attorneys are MC Rand, Ice Cube, and Easy Motherfucking E. Order, order, order. Ice Cube, take the motherfucking stand. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help your black ass? You goddamn right. But won't you tell everybody what the fuck you gotta say? Fuck the police coming straight from the underground. A young nigga got it bad cause I'm brown. And not the other color, so police think they have the authority to kill a minority. Fuck that shit cause I ain't the one for a punk motherfucker with a badge and a gun to be beaten on. And thrown in jail, we can go is selling narcotics you rather see me in the pen than me and lorenzo rolling in a benzo be the police out of shape and when i finish bring the yellow tape to tape off the scene of the slaughter still getting swallowed up bread and water i don't know if they fags or what such a nigga down and grabbing his nuts and on the other hand without a gun it can't get none but don't let it be a black and a white one because they'll slam your 
showing out for the white cop. Ice Cube will swarm on any motherfucker in a blue uniform. Just cause I'm from the CPT, punk police are afraid of me, huh? A young nigga on the warpath, and when I finish, it's gonna be a bloodbath of cops dying in LA. Yo, Dre, I got something to say. Testimony to the jury about this fucked up incident. Fuck the police and Red said it with authority. Because the niggas on the street is a majority of gang. It's with whoever I'm stepping. And a motherfucking weapon is kept in a stash spot for the so-called law. Wishing Red was a nigga that they never saw. Lights start flashing behind me. But they're scared of a nigga, so they mace me to blind me. But that shit don't work, I just laugh. Because it gives them a hit not to step in my path. But police, I'm saying, fuck you, punk. And shit, it's all junk. Pulling out a silly club, so you stand with a fake ass badge and a gun in your hand. But take off the gun so you can see what's up, and we'll go at it, punk, and I'ma fuck you up. Think you think I'ma kick your ass, but drop your cat, and Red's gonna blast. I'm sneaky as fuck when it comes to crime, but I'ma smoke them now and not next time. Smoke any motherfucker that sweats me, any asshole that threatens me. I'm a sniper with a hell of a scope. Two, they can't cope with me The motherfucking villain that's mad With potential to get bad as fuck So I'ma turn it around Put in my clip, yo, and this is the sound Yeah, something like that But it all depends on the size of the gap Taking out a police would make my day But a nigga like Ren don't give a fuck to say of an Uzi or an AK Cause the police always got something stupid to say They put out my picture with silence Cause my identity by itself causes violence To eat with the criminal behavior Yeah, I'm a gangster, but still I got flavor Without a gun and a badge, what do you got? A sucker in a uniform waiting to get shot by me Or another nigga And with a gun, it don't matter if he's smaller or bigger
around. Yeah. <laughs> Unapologetic. Absolutely. I remember the first time I heard that. Was it kind of late 80s, early 90s, something yeah. like that? We should have checked it, I suppose. Well, but, uh, uh, but the just the name of the band, you know. Uh, it, well, I won't yeah. even. Say, I can't even say it. <laughs> it. It was that, you know, confrontational. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and and claiming back four hundred years, just know. as impactful, if not more, than when punk hit. I think so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, right between the eyes. Even now. Yeah. You know. You can't. The thing is about it is, you can't deny somebody their lived experience. You no. know, and 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 a song like this. It, it tends to um, make white liberals feel uneasy. You know, they're, they're kind of like, what? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I guess I, I'm, uh, I'm fully behind you in your, yeah. you know, uh, for, for your uh, uh, ploy for inequality. I'm, I'm right behind you. But uh, I draw the line, you know, and it, it goes back to the Nelson Mandela thing and the, and the whole uh, thing about apartheid. How far do you protest and, and what, what are the parameters? You know, the, uh, there's a, a, a thing called the Overton window, isn't it? And the Overton window changes. And the Overton window is basically what you're allowed to say yes. before it goes outside of, or, or it, be, it becomes uh, dangerous to society yeah. or unthinkable, you know, and, and it moves, shifts all of the time. Uh, and it's, you know, it's, it's a little bit like when we talk about the centre ground in politics now, it, that shifts all the time. The centre ground now is really right wing. You know, it's not what they think the centre ground is. Uh, and it's the Overton window is the same thing. So when this band comes along with a really confrontational name, you know, which even now in 2021, I don't want to even use the words because it, it, it's just, it kind of rips the air open, doesn't it? The, the, that word. But they're claiming it back and saying it. Yeah. Uh, and then they are directly attacking the authority of the of the state with with this song and the and the state actors which are the police you know and everything that uh, is implied behind that and right up to date with George Floyd you know and this song every time there's a there's a an, a moment in a, in a, in America uh, which obviously gets filmed these days on everybody's iPhones this song you know the downloads go through the roof. Yeah. This is the totemic song. It is, isn't it? And, and, and it's, as you say, if you're a white liberal sitting in the UK or even in America hearing this, you can imagine being, being threatened by it. Yeah. Being shocked by it. And yeah. also, but also loving it as well. Yeah. You know, um, because if you've been through one or more of these movements, like, say, punk or, I guess, rock and roll in the 50s, and, yeah. then, and then this comes along, that there's a bit of you that just wants to listen to it. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, okay, you know. Well, you kind of intuitively recognise the energy in it. Yeah. You know, and you, you, you're drawn to it. And you, you realise um, where it's really coming from. And that this... And shocks you out of your complacency. I, as well, I think so. It? Yeah, that's a that's a, a great way of putting it because you uh, you have to refer again, as I said, to their lived experience in uh, South Central LA or well, you know, all across the United States of America, and it won't be if you start having the conversation. It won't be long before slavery gets mentioned, you know, and then you're talking about four hundred years. Who built the country um, when when slavery was abolished? What happened? Well, there was lots and lots of compensation money 
but not for the slaves, no, the no. slave owners. Yeah. <laughs> millions and millions of pounds were given to the slave owners. You know, and of course, uh, there's a, there's a great <laughs> a great scene in uh, Family Guy, you know, the American cartoon, and the uh, it's it's a, 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 a slave with with manacles around him, and uh, and a, a plantation owner with all of the you know flowery dress, and uh, and he takes the manacles off the slave, and he goes, so oh, we cool, <laughs> you know, okay, is that it? <laughs> so we're fine, you know, four hundred years yeah, of yeah, subjugation yeah. and and cruelty. <laughs> And you know, family after family having to live in the, in appalling conditions, take the manacles off and go right off you go, <laughs> you know, and that's it, and yeah, everything's yeah. solved. Obviously, you know, it's not like that. No, no. And um, and when whenever this this question of reparations comes up for slavery, that really gives white liberals the EBGBs. You know, they're, they're like, but but yeah, but it wasn't me. You know, it wasn't. Yeah. Um, but it, it's it's much more complex, and just talking about it, it helps illuminate um, how how present the problem still is. Yes, you know, yes. Uh, and George Floyd obviously is one, and none of us will be surprised if it happens again next week. Well, it did happen again last week. Yes, it know? did. Yes, yeah. and uh, and the week after, and the week after, and the week after. You know, and we've had uh, a black president of the United States of America. And they, and how much has has changed? You know, uh, what happened immediately after Barack Obama? Yeah. We had Donald Trump as a reaction. You know, so there's a long, long, long way to go. And and as um, as Obama says, you know, America's crucified themselves on race, whereas here in Britain we crucify ourselves on class. You know, and it's a, it's a, why would that be? You know, it's a fascinating conversation, it is, and it's all and it's all brought up by uh, NWA and their their entire um, shtick, their 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 whole uh, rebel stance. You know, I, I I like to juxtapose it with Public Enemy on the on the uh, on the East Coast. Yeah. You know, because um, they both they both have seeds in the Black Panther movement, and if you've seen the great film. Um, Judas and the Black Messiah. No, no. Uh, it's a new film uh, about the Black Panther movement and Fred Hampton, and it's and it's essentially talking about you know the uh, the, the white American state terrified to death of uh, this socialist movement. You know, it, it doesn't go said enough that the Black Panther was a socialist movement, and they were feeding everybody in the projects. You know, giving every all the kids breakfast because they were hungry, and it was an on the ground you know uh, movement. You know, from the ground up, and uh, it just absolutely terrified them. And it's all interlinked with music like this and Public Enemy. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, and as I say, you know, white white liberal Western Europe and America is is of is often attempts to show some sympathy, but in reality is terrified of it. You know, a bit like they were terrified of Jeremy Corbyn when he came along. Well, yeah, you know, yeah. or they 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 all got found out on the spot. So, They've been. You know, uh, spouting leftist platitudes their entire life, then a real socialist comes along, and a lot of them uh, were exposed for what they were. You know, I mean, you mentioned about the British. Um, what was that phrase you used? The British crucified themselves on class. On class, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to talk about Ireland now, aren't we? Because we've got um, the next song 
here is you two Sunday bloody Sunday and then we've got one after that which yeah. is a kind of reply to Sunday bloody Sunday but it is. just but there were quite a few songs about Ireland in the 70s um the ones I can remember weren't very good. There was the Paul McCartney give Ireland <laughs> yeah. back to the Irish. Yeah. There was John Lennon did a few on sometime in New York City. Yeah. And yeah. He did that one, the look of the Irish, which I think is a great tune, but the lyrics are like yeah. third year. Yeah. Awful, yeah. awful lyrics. Yeah. If he'd have got his lyrics right, he, he would have. But I think um, in terms of mainstream rock and pop, there wasn't much really. No, um, there wasn't. At was least not that I can remember. I know you have, you have your traditional Irish rebel songs, but I mean, I, I don't remember Radio 1 playing many <laughs> of them. You know, like, they wouldn't play uh, uh, <laughs> Old Feeney and Gun. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting, though, because obviously in the 60s was, was you know, the, the world exploded into colour, you know, and everything happened in the 60s, and it's still like the, the referred to decade of, uh, you know, uh, in, in Western culture. Uh, and any young band that comes out almost always has like a, a 60s influence still going on. Um, but there was two things that happened because there was the, the folk boom, you know, the, the rebirth of, the, uh, of yes. the folk movement, which was uh, referring back to folk authorities at both in Britain and America. And in British folk clubs, uh, Ewan McCall was kind of gave birth to it. And, uh, you know, there was the British folk clubs all over all over the you know, the land and they were doing songs you know about f f 25 verses about wailing <laughs> you yeah. know in in uh, yeah. in the uh, just off Iceland or something and these great old songs about the month of May and uh, people who were attending folk clubs they would they would uh, old Irish rebel songs would often be part of okay. know, of, of what was singing until the Irish began to rebel for real in uh, round about 1969 uh, and then they quietly slipped off the agenda you know what I mean um, which because there was always a you know the woolly jumper uh, middle class aspect of uh, of the folk boom was uh, was again the same thing was was appalled by by the reality you know because you put some distance between yourself and whatever you're singing about it tends to become romanticised doesn't it yeah. and then when it comes zooming into the present yeah. and you're faced with you know that, like violence or whatever it is it becomes incredibly pertinent and, um, and it, 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 it altered and as you say there were nods towards songs about Ireland both of the of the main Beatles songwriters were Liverpool Irish and both of them uh, played into their Irishness as soon as the Beatles uh, split up, which I find really fascinating because they were they would have been searching for their own identities, and they both separately came to the, you know, they both they they, they mined, if you like, their their families, you yeah, know, because yeah. both of them could directly relate to, you know, uh, grandfathers, grandmothers, fathers, and stories about Ireland. Everybody in Liverpool can, yeah. you know, um, so. It, but they did. Neither of them did it very well. No, no, no. no. For various reasons, it didn't work. And, yeah. and the first one I can remember is is your next choice, really, yeah. which is um, "Sunday Bloody Sunday" by you yeah. two, which was just an amazing song. I mean, it yeah. really, yeah. it really, it was a worldwide hit for them. I imagine, yeah. wasn't it? I, well, you forget because it's such an. It was such a fantastically produced record. 
at the time, you know, yeah. when it came out. Should we, should we have a listen to it?
sounding record <laughs> before, oh, yeah. before anything else. You know, the like militaristic drum beat and the and the guitar. And it was kind of you two at their early best uh, when it came out. But I, it's it's been troublesome for for the band throughout their entire career. This song because it's it raises very complex issues and. But I, I kind of don't know what they expected by calling the song Sunday, Bloody right. Sunday. At the time when it came out, I just assumed it was about Bloody Sunday in 72. Yeah. Well, it was. It, but that's what the song is about. Um, but I think they're, they're attempting to take a widescreen view of it. So it's not sectarian. Not, and not taking sides. Yeah. Which, again, is problematic because, in, from my opinion, you should take sides on Bloody Sunday. You know, the British were wrong. The paratroopers yeah, yeah. shot innocent people dead. So, so they immediately, you know, placed themselves in a. It, it, he's got to explain himself, uh, you know, and and it, it, uh, for a long time, I think when they were when they played the song, you know, and they're gonna want to play the song because it's bloody marvelous, yeah, you yeah. know, strong song. Yeah. That um, he would uh, almost uh, try and reassure the audience by saying this is not a rebel song yeah you know that was the that was the kind of the prefix to the song at all times this is not a rebel song was it an, an anti-violence song or a peace song uh, or something that's and the white flag would come out wouldn't it you oh know, okay he, remember he that's used to, right i've forgotten that yeah. and, and then would, i think that was probably the beginning of um, the many <laughs> bono detractors you know it's like who does he think he is with his white flag sort of thing but it was a, an attempt by them to to uh, sort of place the song in a in an area which was uh, 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 progressive and peaceful, as opposed to you know it could easily be said uh, this this is just in the canon of rebel songs Sunday yeah. Bloody Sunday yeah. you know there've been other songs because there've been other Bloody Sundays yeah, yeah. you know in in, uh, in Ireland so uh, they were trying to take a widescreen approach to the to the violence that had taken place uh, and not kind of um, point fingers so yes. much. Okay. Um, which is, uh, uh, the song came out, I think it was about 83 and uh, and from the very beginning they were, they were uh, explaining it. And I think they omitted some lyrics as well. I think Edge might have wrote the lyrics to this. And he omitted lyrics from the original writing which which could have led it even further down the road of being accused of being a sectarian song. Um, and of course, this brings in the entire question of the situation in Ireland, you know, because the, uh, the awful action which took place in Derry in 72, I think it was on the last 30th of January, was it, 1972, um, was... Uh, uh, took place in 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 Derry, which which all of a sudden in in 1922 found itself as a border town, you know, a border city, which had never been in no, its no. entire uh, history. It was just a town in in Ireland. But once partition came in, you know, um, there's the British border in Ireland. People often talk about the Irish border. There is no Irish border. There's a British border in Ireland. You know, the Irish border is the beach. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and all of a sudden, so Derry was the focal point of of what of the uh, the ethnic conflict which, which came out. 
And for those in the south, of which of which you two are from, if they're a Dublin band, you know, and I think, well, the edge is Welsh. Um, the bass player is English uh, in U2. Uh, I think Larry Mullen is the is is Irish Catholic. I think he's the only. I honestly don't want. Um, but they were. All, but as soon as you start talking about these things in Ireland, you're laying yourself open, and somebody's going to point your finger. It's the nature of the, of yeah. the you know the whole of the, uh, the the question, the national question within Ireland, and so people in the north call people in the south free state bastards. Because the, the 26 counties got there, were free of, of British rule, you know, after uh, the Irish War of Independence. Uh, whereas the six counties, for Catholics in the six counties, the Irish in the six counties, they considered themselves still under the subjugation of the British crown. So they would say to the people in the south, well, you've left us behind. You know, you sold us down the river. And this is, this is, this is what's, what's happened, is all these years later after partition, we now have this, you know, ethnic what was called the Troubles, but it's, you know, a, a, an ethnic war, really. Um, and uh, it's all right for you to, you two, to, to make these comments from outside of it. You're not living it. Mm-hmm. We're living it every day, you know, in housing, in jobs, um, and, and our position to second-class citizens in our own country, you know, where, in, from, from their p- point of view, Derry is Ireland. It's not Britain, it's Ireland. You know, and this is the, the whole point of the uh, of the Good Friday Agreement was to give them the right to say that they never had the right to say that before that. You know, when the when the Orange State was set up, Protestant state for a Protestant people was the was the rallying cry of the statelet, and uh, so they they never had the right to say no, I'm Irish. But the Good Friday Agreement gave them that right, and also gave them the right to have an Irish passport and all these other progressive things for the Irish in their, you know for their identity. Again, come back to that question of identity. And um, so they, they immediately ran into trouble, you two, for even going there. Uh, but they did go there, you know, and you might say that's very brave of them to, to draw attention to what happened in Derry on that day. And I remember after Enniskillen was when I think Bono got his angriest because there was a, a, an unforgivable bombing in Enniskillen on Remembrance Day by the, I think, the Derry Brigade of the IRA, and there was some confusion about if it was authorised or it was a, a what happened. But Bono went on a, a rant in America to, to say, you know, this is not a rebel song, and to use his own words, fuck the revolution, and he was sick of Irish Americans going on about... You That's know, right, yes. ...all that yeah. sort of stuff. So, um, and that was, you know, he came from a righteous perspective because there was, you know, dead bodies on the ground... Was, yeah. Which um, which was you know pretty much unforgivable really, um, and I think they decided they were never going to play the song again. Um, but I think on their last tour they opened with it, so they're they're always drawn to you know to the many facets of this song. It's complex. Kind of what you what you said though is that they, I think ultimately I I would I would give them credit for writing something like that you might agree or disagree with the sentiments yeah. but nevertheless to come out with that it does take it's pretty brave it, it very brave that yeah. and they and they came out with it and the next track we're going to play by Sinead O'Connor is a yeah. kind of answer to this isn't it to Sunday Bully Sunday isn't it Ian? yeah yeah it's a it's an answer to um uh 
Bono's a constant pretext, this is not a rebel song. It was almost became, you know, like uh, the Sunday Bloody Sunday was always in brackets before it, this is not a rebel song, Sunday Bloody Sunday, because right. he said it that often. And he was at pains to, to say that. And he, w- he would have been aware that at that point he's, he's putting himself um, at odds with a traditional republicanism within the, the, you know, the whole Irish body politic. Uh, and probably, more specifically, traditional physical force republicanism, you know, fighting back with guns and bombs and all of that yeah. sort of stuff, which has been going on for, for you know, uh, centuries. So uh, her response was, a, uh, is this song that, that we're, we're going to listen to? Should we, should we have a listen to it uh, first? It's a, it's a beautiful piece of music as well. And um, really affecting. Um, I can reduce you to tears. Well, anything Sinead O'Connor 
anytime she sings can really get to you. She's the most amazing vocalist, isn't she? Yeah, she is. Uh, Massive range as well. Uh, the range of stuff she's yeah. done. So, uh, have you ever hear her singing some of the old songs as well? You know, um, uh, Foggy Foggy Dew or, or... Peggy Gordon, she does a fantastic version of Danny that. Boy. Or just yeah, 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 yeah. Beautiful. Um, so that, that, but what I love about that song is it's a response. A, a direct response to um, to U 2s song, uh, and that that song is called "This Is a Rebel Song," you know. So that at that point, once you see the title, you might be thinking that you're going to get um, something in the idiom of uh, you know, uh, "Come out your black and tans," kind of yeah. thigh slapping, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, um, sort of old style song, yeah, not just with the title, but it's not that at all. It's that very gentle. Um, the refrain, how come you never said you love me in all the times you've known me, which places, uh, uh, you know, Britain and Ireland, or maybe specifically England and Ireland, as lovers. Yeah. Because they're so close and they know each other so, you know, uh, so intimately, which which we do, you know, and we are, we are so, our lives are so interwoven. And she and it's a beautiful piece of poetry for her to say, "What? Why haven't you ever told me you love me when we're so close? You know, in all the times you've known me." I think that's just yeah. a, a wonderful piece of songwriting, and and it is like a in a in a way it's kind of a, like a a, a a child's. She places an island as a as asking. As a as a lost sort of child or something, asking for asking for love from the the parent in a way as well yeah. as an abused uh, entity, yeah. you know, um, that is just asking for some for some love and all of the and all of the reactions that Ireland has had down the years to its to to to, to Britain has been for the lack of of love and care and attention yes. and uh, and. It's really wonderfully realised, and the fact that the music is nothing like how you'd expect. That's right, music to be. and it, it's true of most. Well, all, all the ones today, they're all quite shocking in a different way, aren't they? You've yeah. got you've you've got the aggression of yeah. "fuck the police." Yeah, you've, <laughs> yeah. You've, yeah. you've got the sort of popability of "Sunday Bloody Sunday." Yeah, you've got the joy of and Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela yeah. You know, and then you get this, which is haunting. I mean, it's it is. absolutely haunting, isn't it? It because it's you know it's ambivalent. The um, the uh, the the U2 one, it can be taken in yeah. in different ways, whereas this is kind of direct, and it and it says, uh, it, you know, it, it addresses the elephant in the room of the the actual relationship and why everything has come to pass in the in the, the strife between the two places, you know, um, it's looking at it deeper, really, yeah. you know, and, and says it's all very well for you there, cosy in Dublin, to write about what's happened up there in the north of Ireland. But um, in reality, there is something, there's reasons for, for all of this strife and all of this trouble. And we have to go to the root of the problem if we're ever going to actually solve the entire, uh, you know, situation. Yeah. So uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful response and a, and a great piece of music. It is, it is, yeah. isn't it? And, and, and it's interesting because we're ending on that today. But yeah. the next... 
podcast, we're going to be talking about another uh, wordsmith, one of the yeah. greatest, I think. Yeah. Um, Shane McGowan from the Pogues. Well, yeah, it, terminally fascinating, you know. Um, oh, wow. I'm really looking forward to that because there's so much to say, there's so much to learn, there's so much greatness and so much tragedy as well. So, yeah. yeah. A lot of contradictions as well, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we're going to be looking at that soon. Okay, well, thank you for uh, listening today. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed myself, Michael. Indeed, yeah, <laughs> so have I. And it's, um, so that'll be in about a month's time we'll be doing the next uh, podcast. So okay. look forward to seeing Absolutely. and hearing you then. Yeah, see you later. <laughs> <laughs>